Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elzen kicking things off for us tonight. Local artist Onalu with Oyos de Mandra. And uh, boy, we got a packed show tonight. Uh, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to artist Kaylee Rutledge from Nashville. Uh, her album Tender Heart, amongst my uh, favorites of late. Uh, we've also got an interview with one of the organizers of the Manitoba Loud Awards uh, loud music awards and uh, a couple of the participants in the Flipside Opera's presentation of Bloody Jack. Uh, but before we get to that, here is a new track from Cassandra Jenkins. It's called American Spirits. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
sorry to report uh, <laughs> my uh, en route was interrupted here in Garza County. Hopefully I won't uh, go to the pen. All right. Have good shows. All right. Well, she previously recorded under her the name De Joie. Kaylee Rutledge has finally released a record under her own name. It's called Tender Heart. We played some tracks on it uh, in the past, but uh, excited to have her on the show. How are you doing, Kaylee? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Nice morning here in Nashville. Yeah. So you've made Nashville your home for about a decade now. Yes. So I am originally from Florida, Florida girl, and came up here when I was 17 and have been here ever since, really. So, I mean, the the music that you made under the the Dejois moniker, like it was, I mean, not necessarily what I didn't anticipate someone moving to Nashville to make. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, and also I commend you for, <clears throat> for pronouncing Dejois correctly because sometimes I don't even do that. <laughs> um, but so yes, I, initially moved to Nashville when I was 17. I went to Belmont University my freshman year of school and I actually only wrote and sang country music. So initially moving up here it did make sense because Nashville very known for country music Yeah. and you know through a lot of chain of events I kind of I think I came up here and just kind of got intimidated and so I stopped and evolved and went through yeah changes that we do in our early 20s and found my way back in music but in a different genre um and so Dijois was kind of born out of yeah out of a collaboration with a friend and pulled from uh influences that are a little bit more ethereal so it was kind of an experiment and yeah I I always I think will enjoy that kind of music but it definitely was a a branching out for me so it wasn't some sort of like response to like commercial country being created in nashville or something like it wasn't like like a, a drawing away from that or it was just kind of growth as you know young 20s artist you know as you say that i'm like i think it actually might have been a subconscious response to that okay. because i grew up on really good pure country music we're talking the johnny cashes the patsy Kleins of the world and and then i think country music yeah it started to become very commercialized and poppy and i i didn't want to associate with it that was definitely a part of it as well i kind of left that genre as a fan even um just as the new stuff started to evolve so i guess kind of a mix of both personal evolution and just wanting to try something different right so then coming out of Dijois, you you kind of stepped away from music for a bit. And as I understand it, like this record under your own name wasn't necessarily in the offing. Like it wasn't something you saw. You were going to maybe go into to mental health therapy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely it's it's been a journey as an artist. I um, was pursuing more musical opportunities with Dijois. And then um, I I guess this was really last year, 2020, in the height of so much going on in the world, I just had a lot of really tough personal things happened. And I was just like, honestly, I'm, I got to walk away from music. I'm done. And I felt that 
something I've always been interested in is working in mental health space and um, still have an interest in that very much. Um, but I, yeah, I just said, all right, I'm going to enroll in school and see where this leads. And when I did that, um, I had a friend pass away and she was a huge influence and cheerleader for me to do music. And so when that happened, it kind of pivoted me back the other way. And I realized, all right, I still, I still eventually, I think, can see myself working in this space, but I got to, I got to make this album that I've always wanted to make. Um, and so I did this last year. It explores mental health, like thematically. Yes. yes. Was this like, okay, I can maybe find a way to pursue both. In, in one vehicle like was there a conscious decision about that or was it just like these are the songs because this is what's in my head right now yeah i i actually can remember a a tearful conversation with a, a good friend on her couch one night before i made this record and i just had this kind of existential moment of you know i i see so many people suffering in in the world right now and i i feel like i want to i want to be a part of making a difference in that regard and is it, it can i still do that with music just kind of wrestling with this question of you know like is one pursuit more valuable than the other and through my own wrestling just kind of came to this conclusion that i think art is one of the biggest vehicles of healing and I know for in my own mental health journey that music has been a huge therapist, for lack of a better word, in its own right. Um, and so I, I kind of just through my own back and forth came to the conclusion that I feel that at this point in my life, I can create art and that is just as valuable as a pursuit as, you know, anything else. And so I, I think that the answer is I, in short, that yes, I, I decided that I felt like I could fulfill this desire to put light into the world and to, um, yeah, bring some sort of some sort of healing or hope to people through music. And I hope that I hope that I have done that. Even for even for one person is is enough for me. I mean, obviously, I haven't taken training in in, in therapy, but. You know, I have to imagine, like, because you're at sort of a remove from your your patient or your client, that this is more revelatory or like self-effacing as, as a pursuit. Mm -hmm. Like, you're you're sharing more of yourself than you would if you were, you know, yes, talking to someone about their issues. Yes, <clears throat> exactly. Um, I mean, I like I am still I'm currently in therapy I, I'm a huge believer that it's a great tool for people and I think that I think that what I'm the conclusion I'm coming to is I think we need both I think that we need I think that we need opportunities to <clears throat> be heard and to be understood by someone um, and we need the opportunity and space to express our own internal wrestlings and I think music that's where music comes into play, at least for me. Um, but yeah, there it's two very different approaches, I feel like. Um, but but yeah, mental health is something that I think more than ever this year we've all become aware of in terms of its importance. And um, so I, I definitely wanted to have that be some sort of a red thread through through the record. Now, a track like Tough Enough, I read that you had kind of had notes on your phone 
with like not necessarily like lyrics but like words you'd written to yourself yes coming out of yes. a breakup and that like you basically processed the breakup through eventually writing this song but that you'd been kind of hashing it out in your own mind or on your phone for a while yes so i i actually the the opening lines of the song that i don't think i'm tough enough for you i i had that melody in those words recorded in a voice memo in my phone while i was still in this relationship which is kind of funny mm. um and i it's just it goes to show i think that i think most of the time we know in our gut what we need to do and looking back I knew in that moment that I shouldn't be in that relationship, but it took, yeah, it, I mean, life is complicated. It's not always black and white. And so it really did take me writing this song and having very <laughs> intense moments of, of reflection with myself and with friends to realize, yeah, this is, this is not the relationship I want to be in. And so it's kind of funny, like the timeline of writing this song, it's like by the time I finished it, it's as if my my eyes were opened and I left that relationship, which was a really positive thing. And um, I yeah, I think I've even noticed that as the records come out, I'll I'll listen to songs then that I have written and realize, oh, wow, I needed to hear this today. Or uh, it's just it's funny how your art can kind of hold you accountable. Um, if you're writing honestly you posted on Instagram that the songs are like portals for you yes 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 that's that's really how it feels to me I um, I've never been a consistent journaler or document documenter of my life in in more of like a prose sense but with songs that's how I process things that's how I remember things and so yeah that that word portals resonates for me because I can you know play a song that I wrote four years ago and instantly be taken back to that experience and what I learned um, and I think that art does that for other people I think it's not just um, self-serving I think that um, I think that you know I, I think of people I listen to and am moved by like the Angel Olsons of the world and Feist and other amazing female songwriters and I can listen to their song and I feel like I am transported in their portal of being able to understand um, something specific to their life, but also something true to the human experience too, because of this three minute song that they wrote very honestly. Well, I'm very curious about like sort of the, the notion of the portal for you, because it seems like you're almost like, like the, um, I can't remember the name of the bowl that they use in Harry Potter where they can like look look at the person's <laughs> memories. Wow. I can't tell you how happy I am that Harry Potter is being referenced in this interview. Yes. Okay. What's it? It's like what is it? Oh God. I have I'm, to Google this. I'm totally like blanking on it. But but the the notion of like you're standing outside of your own memory in some way. The pensive. The, the pensive. pensive. <laughs> yes. And so like, you're able to see it from a different angle, right? So yes, you as the creator have like stepped outside your own memory in some way and can like yes. view it. Exactly. And then other people, like you said, like a listener can see this as well. Yes. That man, that, that really is the beautiful thing. I think of 
songwriting, I mean, any form of art, but obviously for me, songwriting is, I feel like sometimes I, I, I don't feel like I have the correct, I feel like in the moment, sometimes I can't express myself just talking to someone in words, but when I have time to reflect and create this, yeah, create a song, it, it does kind of feel like I, I don't know, it feels like a way that I can let people in um, in the same way that we see in Harry Potter. And I, yeah, I totally agree. It very much feels like songwriting is a way to let people in to see from your perspective, see from your point of view in a way that I don't think is possible really through any other form in this, at least that, that I can think of. So when it comes to like lyrics, like, do you revise or edit a lot? Or is it kind of like, does it spill out of you? Like what, what kind of process mm -hmm. is it to then reveal yourself in that way? Yeah. You know, it varies. It varies from song to song. I, I have never, been, I know there's so many different approaches to songwriting. I would not classify myself as a prolific writer by any means. I, I really write when I feel that I have something to say or something I need to process. So I, I know there are songwriters that, you know, have it a discipline. They write a song a day. I think that's awesome. But that's just never been me. Right. Um, so for me, it depends. Sometimes I've had, I've had moments where I'll hear a melody in my head and no lyrics. And so I'll like run into a, <laughs> a bathroom in a coffee shop or something and like quickly record it in my phone so I don't lose it. Or sometimes the words come first. Sometimes they come together. It, it just, it really depends. And I actually, I was reading, um, I was re reading A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway this past year. And he talks about how for him, when he, when he approached writing, that he would never force it essentially. Like he would, if he had an idea, he'd work on it. And then if it wasn't coming naturally, he would stop and walk away and then revisit it the next day. And I kind of always, I, I just have always kind of resonated with that of, I think that for me, I, I wanna make sure that there's, I'm not just writing for the sake of pumping out a song. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I really do, I see songwriting as an extension of my life and the way that I um, process things. And so for me, it, it really varies of how it looks, to be honest with you. Right. Now, the the decision to record this under your own name, is that simply like the, the tone and like kind of the style of music is different than Bijouah? Or was there something about kind of like these songs being intensely personal that made it you have to own mm -hmm. them under your own name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, like you, <laughs> you've speculated perfectly. It, it really is, it was a kind of a combination of both. I, I wanted there to be a separation from De Joie because I want to continue to keep that moniker for future projects. And I have some plans in the works for, for De Joie stuff, but I did want it to be separate because I mean, in every regard, the sound is different the way I approached recording this is different I had a full live band here in Nashville recording it and it was all live instruments mm -hmm. whereas Dijois we incorporated a lot more programming and um, so I wanted it to be different sonically and also on a personal note I felt that not that I had written dishonestly with things I'd put out under Dijois but I I just I wanted to have my name on it I wanted it to um yeah, I wanted to write these songs from a present day standpoint of what was happening now. And 
So I think having my name on it, it just sort of, again, kind of held my feet to the fire to make sure like, all right, if my, if my actual name is on this, I, I want to make sure that everything I'm saying is, is true and honest. And yeah, so that's kind of the thought there. Right. Now, as far as the sequencing, you have a prelude. Yes. And uh, also right before the last track, an interlude. Yes. And so, I don't know if I've ever interviewed an artist who had a prelude on their album before, but. <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I don't know where that idea came from. It was not something that my producer Thad and I, that we had planned on from the beginning, but I, I think it just, it evolved as we started to create the album. And I, I really wanted to, you know, obviously I feel like we're starting to get away from this in the music industry, but we're largely the last few years have been so driven by singles and people just pumping out a song at a time, which is fine. But for me, like I, I've always been a full album girl. I love putting in my headphones and listening to a record start to finish. And so for me, when I thought about, all right, I want to make a full length album. I, I wanted it to be an experience. And so that thought behind Prelude was, all right, what can we do to kind of get people into this other world or this other headspace? And so that was, that's really the purpose of that is I wanted it to feel like a full, yeah, a, I want it to feel like a portal really to tie it all in. If Prelude is kind of the door to the portal of this world of Tenderheart and Interlude in a sense did the same um, in that I, it, it's obviously there's only one track after interlude, but chorus of my life kind of feels like a, the ending of this story, the ending of this world. And so I just wanted to kind of create something, I don't know, experiential, I guess, for people to, to really, the intention is for people to listen to it start to finish. I think as with all artists that make records. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, the prelude leads to tender heart, the title track. Yes. So yes. like, the, that decision on sequencing then like th this is kind of like prepare yourself and then here's like the the mission statement of the album the title track exactly. and then you've got that interlude and then the coda is kind of like the summation in the story of my life mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah that's the sequencing was something that we <laughs> i can't i can't tell you how many conversations and hours that Thad and I spent on trying to nail that sequencing um, because it did feel important of the intention was for people to listen to it start to finish. And so it, it needed to make sense sonically, lyrically, like there's, we had a huge whiteboard in the studio and we wrote out, okay, what are the lyrical themes of this song to this song and what key is this in? So we, I appreciate you bringing up the sequence because it was something that we really tried to put a lot of thought into um, to try to make it a cohesive story. It certainly feels considered like that there is like a front to back of it and like, like you're, you're trying to get the listener somewhere. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, speaking of listeners, I mean, the album's been out for a little bit and you had talked about, you know, are the songs are portals for you, but they're also portals for, for listeners. Like, have you had any like surprising feedback about specific songs or like people relating things to you? Yeah, I, I have. That's that's the wild and mystical thing I think about releasing something is it kind of I've heard I've heard a few other artists say this too. Once you you write this personal thing that feels like it's just yours, and then the second that it's out in the world, 
it kind of feels like it leaves your hands in this really sweet sense almost where it feels like it's now other people's um and so yes i have i've received some really kind and heartfelt messages whether on social media or messages from friends or i mean through different through different ways but of people saying hey like <laughs> Uh, have you read my journal? Like, how did you know? <laughs> just, you know, pe people being like, I went through a relationship just like this, or yes, I haven't, I, I haven't known how to put the words to this, but I, like someone reached out to me um, about the song Fine and just was really, really kind of, of saying that it, it really put words to a struggle that they've had um, in their communication and relationship with someone. So those like there, there's some cool mile markers as a, as an independent artist. To me, I think that those are always, those mean more to me than almost anything is hearing from people, from listeners that, that they were able to relate to something. Like there's just nothing as for me, there's nothing more fulfilling as an artist or songwriter to feel like you helped pen words for someone else. For sure. And I have to imagine like you were talking about, you know, someone like Feist having, had experiences like that as a listener to create those kind of experiences for another listener. Yes. Yes. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up listening to Brandy Carlisle too. Just I've always been drawn to female singer songwriters, obviously. And I think, yeah, it feels, it feels really great to be able to do for someone what was done for me, um, which was to be given a voice and be understood. And yeah, I'm, that's to me like the biggest gift of being a songwriter is helping to be understood and to help other people understand themselves for sure before i let you go i'm gonna get you to pick a track off of the record we can play for listeners and if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it we'd love to hear that mm. i you know i actually would love to play the song baby get your hopes up um i wrote this song with thad and josh here in nashville and the idea was this, to me, this song, I would love to kind of present it as the anthem for, for, from, for surviving 2020, I guess, of, you know, in a, in a time where there's so much, so much hardship going on and so much pain and suffering going on in the world, it's easy to become cynical or cold or hard. And I think that for me, this song, I hope, <laughs> hope that it's yeah just kind of is a kind of brings a smile to someone's face or helps someone to get their hopes up and yeah that one feels special to me right now awesome well we'll give that one a listen uh the record is called tender heart kaylee rutledge thanks very much for for taking some time to talk about it thanks so much michael i appreciate it oh baby get your hopes up don't turn Oh, yeah.
Well, the Flipside Opera and Art Song Collective are set today to debut a new film, a series of performances and songs. And uh, joining me, one of the songwriters, Dennis Cooley, as well as the performer, Don Bruckweens. Welcome to the show. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. Good to be here. So, I mean, this is this isn't a, and uh, so as far as I understand it, not a usual thing for the two of you in terms of the combination of performance, film. It's it's like is this is this like a pandemic project? Is this something that kind of was birthed out of like necessity? Uh, yes, actually, <laughs> um, we had planned to. Um, Michael Matthews uh, composed this, and and Dennis wrote the poetry for it, um, and we had planned to perform it uh, before the pandemic in a very cool location um, that had to do with Bloody Jack Kravchenko's life and death, and it was. Um, you know, this really cool project and then the pandemic hit and we couldn't do anything. So this project um, and the way it's being delivered through video is completely um, a result uh, of the pandemic. Um, and we, uh, you know, we got to combine uh, the historical elements of Bloody Jack Krevchenko's life as well as kind of behind the scenes interviews with uh, Dennis and Michael Matthews. So Dennis, I have to imagine you didn't anticipate behind the scenes uh, participation being kind of put on stage or on on screen, right? Like as as the person who writes these kinds of things, you don't well, necessarily not, expect to be a performer in some sense. Uh, yes and no. Okay. Uh, that uh, some of these uh, bits are notions from Bloody Jack have spilled out in very and some other occasions. Some pieces have been set to new music before. Some have been part of little plays. So they had some kind of presence, but the figure is so, uh, the historical figure is so colorful and notorious, uh, infamous, I guess is the word, uh, that it, it's kind of ripe for all kinds of plays. When the book first came out, some lunatic from Hollywood wrote in a fever, uh, wondering if they could get movie rights to Bloody Jack. Uh, <laughs> but, so they've been spillovers in various ways. and, and uh, I've had previous collaborations with Michael Matthews, uh, luckily, or, uh, over the past couple of decades, I guess. So those those prior collaborations, like you had a kind of a shorthand or a working knowledge of each other, and it was no kind of change to that that dynamic, or did things approach differently this time around? Well, up to the point where uh, where uh, uh, the performances became involved, they were pretty much the same as they had been. I I, I have written things. Uh, Michael had read them, saw uh, manuscripts, and uh, from time to time wondered could he have my permission to use one piece or another in some of his compositions. I gladly, happily, and and uh, and uh, flatteringly, uh, <laughs> uh, flattering, feeling flattered rather, uh, said yes, of course, I'd do that. So that that went on for a little while, right up until this point. What really changed for me is when uh, this started coming into production and I saw Don Rush and Laura Loon uh, uh, practicing or rehearsing the uh, material with uh, Michael and it was a revelation to me. I was uh, astounded at how, how good and skilled they were. It took my breath away. <laughs> Thanks Dennis. <laughs> so Don, you know, obviously you mentioned this was intended as, as a live thing and then became something else. As a yeah. performer, do you have to like switch gears? Like, is it a is it a vastly different thing to do a live performance versus a, something like this? 
Absolutely. Um, I would say, um, first and foremost, um, I'm, I'm also a producer on this project. Uh, my company, uh, Flipside Opera and Art Song uh, Collective, um, is, uh, is partnering with Groundswell and we're producing um, this. So it's, we're now producing more of a film <laughs> than a concert. So there's so many more things that are complicated um, about that. Um, we had to uh, record the audio and then uh, we kind of did it like a music video and I um, did some lip syncing um, while the video was um, being taken with the, like an audio backtrack. So the process was extremely different. Um, I, Laura Lowen, the pianist and I, we uh, only had a chance to get together starting in the summer to rehearse um, because of the pandemic. So we were uh, trading recordings back and forth um, in order to prepare uh, for quite a tight rehearsal period. And um, that that worked actually incredibly well. But yeah, since because of the pandemic and because of this this medium, it, it was very different than what I'm used, used to. Right. So you mentioned, you know, doing lip syncing or like, you know, <laughs> kind of like performing to your own performance. Yeah. Just taking yourself outside of your, your initial performance. Like, is that, is it kind of weird to hear yourself and then like process that? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, I think we're our own worst critics. Um, I have to say I'm extremely happy with how these recordings turned out. Um, but it, it's definitely strange to, um, you know, lip sync or uh, we call it marking. So kind of singing, um, with less energy, I guess, um, to these songs. Um, and I, and I don't have to think about technique. It's more about, um, um, expression and how the picture looks and, and what our director Aiden Ritchie is, is, is telling me to do. So it's very, very different, but, uh, it was a very uh, cool experience to think about it in a different way. Yes. I'm wondering what's going to happen now. I, I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen in the, uh, in the video. I'm really looking forward to that. I know that, uh, Aiden Ritchie had uh, worked like a madman, uh, mm -hmm. recording, filming, and re-recording, re-filming all over the place. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's um, should be a, a great surprise to see what happens on Friday night or on the nineteenth, rather. <laughs> you both mentioned Aiden. Is is the direction that you get for film different than like uh, the director of an opera performance? Yes, uh, definitely. So Aiden, um, in an opera, you would you would you know um, get staging and and blocking, and you would go over it, you know, a bunch of times and, and rehearse and, and there's a music director there too. So there's, there's, um, you know, also a ton of different elements to opera. Um, but in, in film, um, he gave us direction, but it was, uh, more of, um, um, you know, um, segments. So, um, like it would just satisfy one shot. So I guess you didn't, I didn't have the big picture thinking of an opera, mm. if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like the entirety of a performance versus just kind of little pieces. Yeah. And it'd be like if you like went out, performed one song on the stage, came back, and then the director was like, how about we do this? And then go back out on stage or something rather than just like the curtains are up. 
Yeah, totally. And I think Aiden has that big picture in his mind, okay. uh, whereas we we don't. We're we're just kind of doing what he says and and trusting him, which I think is, um, you know, really interesting that we're just trusting his vision. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how it worked with this. Yeah, right. He had me talking kind of nonstop, uh, sometimes <laughs> returning to the same topic three or four times so i hope he can pull something out of that uh i and press my eyeball to his camera lens i, I hope that does not appear oh. <laughs> <laughs> were you just kind of hamming it up for the camera dennis oh no he he wanted to oh he asked for that okay effect of uh of the this figure uh bloody jack in his uh perilous times uh, uh this was I, I meant i think to pick up his sense of jeopardy you mentioned that he had you kind of go over the same thing multiple times. Was it like to, to try to elicit sort of a different string of words as a response from you? Oh, I think so. In a variety uh, uh, yeah. that, uh, that I, and this made sense to me that he would do this. And I was pleased in the fact that he did do that and uh, hoping that he might be able to find something that would be of use to him. Right. A lot of times I've, I've heard, you know, films kind of get made in the editing room, like that there's a whole lot of material and then it's kind of, distilled is i have to imagine that's a bit like writing right like, like you're putting a lot of words on paper and then kind of going back and sifting through them yeah yeah you edit the the uh, script you, you edit the, the video yeah uh in terms of the the song cycle that, that you wrote i'm curious as to kind of like did, did michael kind of just like let you do your own thing and then kind of figure out how to work with that or was it a more collaborative thing like hey how about you phrase it well, this way or my work with michael has, has always been of enormous trust and admiration on my part i know that he's going to do i don't know what he's going to do but i know it's going to be good uh and i, I always say you do what you want here's my material if you're interested in it you can do whatever you want with it uh and there's the same thing here i'd written those that text first came out in 1984 i think it was uh mm -hmm. and the first edition it had a second edition many years later, but uh, the, the material that he's working with there uh, has a has a um, uh, a beginning in uh, the late 1970s, really. Uh, so uh, the, my understanding was my my agreement, my uh, uh, ascent was that he would take whatever's there that he thought he could work with and, and work with it. I can think of at least one of the earlier occasion when Don was involved, as were others, in a, in a uh, composition that Michael had done actually on the occasion of his own retirement. They did a beautiful job performing one of the pieces that Michael had, had set as part of his, his music. Mm -hmm. That was a beautiful song. Now, Don, you mentioned obviously this kind of came about as, as a result of the pandemic, but uh, now there is the opportunity for live things. The the official launch is happening on Friday the 19th with a premiere event in person. Maybe you can tell us the details of that. Yeah, so um, we're um, having a little uh, premiere event. Uh, the, the ticket seating is very limited. So um, if there are any listeners out there that want tickets, um, please go to our website, uh, flipsideopera.com, um, and you can just click on uh, buy tickets. Um, it's at uh, 7 p.m. at Little Brown Jug, and uh, we're going to premiere uh, the, the film as well as um, have the creators and collaborators um, as a panel um, and have a panel discussion. 
and that's 7 p.m. on the 19th. Yes. Uh, and like you said, flipsideopera.com. And then the project will then stream on that site the next day. Is that correct? Yes. So um, the initially we um, planned to just uh, launch it on our website and also on Groundswell's website. Um, but because we have some looser restrictions and we can be COVID safe, uh, we decided to have this uh, premiere so we can all actually see each other's faces and be together. Um, <laughs> but um, but then we're launching it on our, our website Um on uh, the 20th and the tickets for that are uh, just pay what you can. Perfect. Uh, well, Bloody Jack, uh, the event is next Friday, the 19th at Little Brown Jug and then on flipsideopera.com after that. Uh, Don and Dennis, thanks very much for taking some time to talk about the project. Thank, Thank you. you so much.
new project sim that's quebec's sophia nolan with person the sunrise version that features four tracks done two ways uh, sunrise and sunset versions stripped down instrumentals and then full band versions before that rose cousins and collaborator tim baker with a new track called the lullaby brackets my oldest love uh, and way back before our discussion with uh, don and dennis we started the set off with ghostly kisses and a new single called blackbirds uh, formerly from Canada, now living in New Zealand, country soul dynamo Tammy Nielsen, uh, pivoting with a, a little something different than what we've expected from her for the last couple of releases, did a cover of Joni Mitchell's The River that dropped earlier this week, apparently growing up, uh, her father, uh, when they were a touring band as a family, uh, gave her a copy of Joni Mitchell's Blue that she played the heck out of, and uh, so... Uh, there's a great piece online if you get a chance to uh, check it out with Tammy, kind of talking about what Johnny Mitchell meant to her. And of course, uh, it was Johnny Mitchell's birthday last week. Uh, here is Tammy Nielsen with The River here on 101.5 UMFM. Christmas, they're cutting down trees, they're putting up reindeer, singing songs of joy and peace. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. It don't snow here, it stays pretty green. I'm gonna make a lot of money and I'm gonna quit this crazy scene. I wish I had a river I could skate away on I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to fly Oh, I wish I had a river could skate away home I made my baby cry He tried hard to help me, you know He put me at ease Loved me so naughty, made me weak in the knees. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. 
so hard to handle I'm selfish and I'm sad Now I've gone and lost the best baby That I ever had I wish I had a river I could skate away on I wish I had a river so long I teach my feet to
All right. Well, the Manitoba Loud Music Awards around the corner, November 19th through 21st at the Bulldog Event Center on Main Dag. Amot joins me to talk about the awards. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? Doing pretty decent. So uh, this is a little unusual as far as uh, awards shows go because you're you're giving out different awards on different nights. I, I don't think I've, uh, I guess maybe it's just like the Oscars where they give out the technical awards like off screen and then they, they have the, the main thing or like what, what was the inspiration for doing it this way so i wanted to do we originally we were supposed to do it last year and um it's just going to be a yearly thing so um basically the previous years whatever uh previous year's categories you just had to have been active in the previous year mm -hmm. um so this year since covid shut it down last year this year we decided we would cover 2019 2020 and 21 okay because of the pandemic, uh, not a lot happened as far as um, active bands go. So we're including recording or just keeping their social media up or whatever. Um, so we ended up with with 17 categories and we were just like, geez, that's a long day. <laughs> yeah. So we split it up into into three nights and each night has six categories. And then it gives you, I guess, the chance to have like sort of like you have three bills essentially right for performers yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's not it's not just about the awards it gives you like uh, more more time to have performances and and <clears throat> like if you had 17 awards and nine bands that would be just an all-day yeah. event or something that yeah that's a really long day i put on um a benefit show uh, a few years ago for um one of my friends who had been in a car accident and him and his daughter lost their life and um we had like 12 bands on the bill or something like that and it was just a really long day so so it's a learn by doing thing that you've done it in the past and it's like oh let's maybe pivot and do something a little differently yeah pretty much yeah now the the saturday night the 20th you know you've got the the different bands like the genre styles right like it's not yeah. this isn't just like loud awards and you're, you're giving out you know specific instrumentation or things like that but that within loud music there are you know a multiplicity of genres yeah. in terms of like deciding you know because some bands blend or blur the lines right do we, they kind of like self-identify as a specific category or how do you guys kind of determine that so generally like we were pretty open to um self-identified categories and stuff like that because i mean we weren't going to break it down initially we were going to break it down if we had to but like if there was like maybe 50 different metal categories then there were 50 different metal nominees then we would probably have to break it down but um because there was so little we didn't have to worry about it but we're not going to do like a category for like you know space hippie uh stoner metal or something you know <laughs> right like, some, like doom rock or something like that yeah yeah like yeah. we would we would listen to the music and, and just kind of determine and discuss with the band if they're okay with being in a certain category that we would already have active and then like just determining within the the genres like you've got you know your your metal your punk hardcore rock but you've also yeah. got cover bands yeah so cover bands are bands who work just as hard as you know original bands um they deserve as much recognition 
Um, I, th I think really the only stipulation was was that you know they fall under one of the genres for their their main set list. Gotcha. Uh, what what's the judging panel like? Like, do you have people kind of who are like specialists in specific areas? Like like someone who's been like in hardcore for a while, or like is it like kind of more generalist jury that's <clears throat> determining each of these awards? So this is another thing that's different about most award shows, and we've taken a little bit of slack for it. But um, none of us wanted to be the judge and says who's the best and who's the top and everything like that. So we actually made it 100% fan controlled. So fans make the nominations. They, they had July and August to submit nominations for the um, people they wanted to see on the, um, on the panel or on the, sorry, on the um, voting, whatever. Ballot? Yeah, on the ballot. Yes, thanks. Um, so we contacted all the bands and we said, hey, you know, you've been nominated. Do you accept the nomination? They would say yes or no. And then in September, we opened up the voting period. So for the entire month of September, fans went onto the webpage and they paid for votes or they got votes. Like you, in the beginning, we had one free vote a day or you could buy up to five. But the only thing was, was like everyone you buy increases, like almost doubles in price or 250 extra in price or something mm -hmm. and then um near the end we just dropped that whole thing and gave five five free votes a day and um so it was up to the bands to really promote themselves at that point and just say like hey we're up for a nomination go vote for us we're up for a nomination go vote for us and then we kind of went through the the list of all the people who got the most votes in and um yeah just determined from there the other awards categories I thought was kind of interesting is you on, on the Sunday night, you're giving a video, photographer and videographer. And that's like kind of like the, the people who are associated with the genre who I don't necessarily think always get the, the shine or the, like the attention. For sure. Um, my Winnipeg promoter actually brought that up. He was saying that um, we need to recognize these guys because they're just as active in it. And I agreed. I, I, you know, like I, I'm happy he thought of it because they are just as much a part of it as anybody else. I think the only thing we didn't really include that we didn't, that um, we don't really, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about including, but um, is like a promoter of the year kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other one, maybe for future years, like, like an artist for the like uh, album art or something, like if there's like a. Yeah. Yeah, so we right because I mean the the look of metal metal albums is so so specific and and absolutely, um, yeah we we discussed actually in future including podcasts mm. um, and stuff like that. So I mean that is something we could also consider is is artist of the year because like in future years we're only doing one year at a time. So next year's event will be um, 2021-2022 active yeah right and so you know we can kind of we, we won't have as many categories because there's not necessarily going to be any punk albums out next year you know or there's not necessarily going to be any albums out next year or maybe the bands are taking a year hiatus we don't know right so right. um it'll definitely trim down the amount of awards we're giving out but we could definitely replace them with other options for sure it sounds like a, like a, something that's always open to revision each year for you guys absolutely absolutely 
now as far as the the lineups for each night performer wise like did you give some thought to kind of like who shares a bill best or like how did you kind of build out those three nights well initially we did we kind of thought of like who would be good where we wanted to do like like it's been a huge process trying to get performers initially in the very beginning last year when we decided we wanted to do this um we wanted to do one band from each category play and then when we came back into it this year we thought hey what if we got um the winner from each category to perform like a 20 minute set and then we kind of went through some troubles with that because you know like asking bands to haul their gear there without the knowledge of whether they're going to win or not mm. you know that it was just there was a lot to it and um we didn't really want to let the winners know and and we just we wanted to be as much of a surprise as possible so then we decided screw it we'll just we'll just get nine bands to play three bands each night and um but then the trouble came with having to find fully vaccinated bands <laughs> so it just kind of ended up being whoever fit where where they could was it was there like bands that just weren't willing to get vaccinated to perform or what yeah kind of trouble were you running into yeah it, it the the unfortunate thing is is that you know um with with the the health restrictions and stuff like that um for the venue's sake for our sake for whoever's sake you know the fan's sake everybody's safety whatever um the unfortunately the artists all have to be vaccinated um there's a huge process to go through um if you're not vaccinated and they just keep tightening it up more and more and so we just kind of said like to make it easier we'll just make everything entirely vaccinated and um so unfortunately there's like like my own band my singer didn't want to get vaccinated which is fine that's his choice um but that definitely puts an impact on our performances and stuff like that so um but i've noticed that there is a lot of bands who have like one or two members who don't want to get vaccinated and we respect that um we just we needed to have the vaccinated bands on the bill for sure um before i let you go and i know this is like putting you on the spot in terms of like either the bands that are nominated or the bands that are playing if there's a track that we can play for listeners uh, before we wrap this up is there Ooh. something you, you get to pick here uh, I know you didn't want to be the jury, but you get to for this one instance. Jeez, <laughs> uh, maybe something from Ramskull. Okay, I'll uh, I'll pull something from them then. Um, folks can go to loudawards.com for tickets. Is that right, Dag? You bet. And so this runs the 19th, 20th, and 21st all at the Bulldog Event Center, 1364 Main Street loudawards.com of course the site uh dag thanks very much for taking some time and, and good luck with the award show thank you very much and thanks for taking the time to uh speak with me